to do anything because a clown can, right? And so I could go up to this bishop and put my foot up on his knee and, and point and get my shoelaces done by the bishop. Hello, my name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I'm speaking to Mary Tomano, or as I know her, Miss Mary Tomano. Our lives are full of moments. Moments that help shape who we are today, and many of these experiences are shaped by people. In most cases, we are still connected to these people in one way or another, but very occasionally, someone that was involved in your life for only a short amount of time can have a profound effect. This was true of my primary school Italian teacher, Miss Mary. I cannot express how amazing it was to have the opportunity to be a student in her class. Even though she left when I was only 9 or 10, I felt a special connection and energy to this person. And I was not the only one. Friends that went to different primary schools but were taught by Miss Mary all have the same experience and fond memories. What was it that captivated our little minds and hearts? How can a teacher have such an influence? Well, as we will find out in our conversation, Mary made us feel like equals. She valued who we were as people, not as kids, not as students. She has lived her life in this way, exploring the world and treating others as equals paying deep attention to everyone she meets and their stories, whether it be the elderly people she works with today or the thousands of students she taught throughout her lifetime. I recently reached out to Mary, and what do you know? She remembers so much about me over 20 years later, which is a testament to her character and values. In today's conversation, Mary and I discuss dealing with the impacts of coronavirus, the wisdom of our elders, the power of stories, spirituality, her stint as a nun, being a clown and a mime, being an Italian-Australian, politics, travel, teaching, and so much more. I am thrilled to bring today's conversation to you. So without further delay, I bring you Mary Tomaino. Mary, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Thank you very much. Moments of Clarity. That's what we need. (laughs) Yeah, what what do you think? What what do you think of the name? (laughs) I love the name. I just think, you know, like listening to the radio this morning with uh, the Premier coming out talking and then people are, are, are getting such confused. I think moments of clarity would be very good. <laughs> people need a lot of clarity at the moment. Yeah, it's a confusing time for so many people. Do you think it's really confusing or people are just trying to find out how it affects them, all these Well, it, it can, no, it can. Um, I understand the common sense and if you look at it from a common sense point of view, fine. It, it, it makes sense. But... If you listen to the actual conversation they, they, they give you and he might say one thing and then he says something else, I've noticed a couple of times that's quite a confusing, I can understand why people would get confused. So please keep your common sense, otherwise you will get confused. I find um, some of the stuff yeah, needs a lot. For some people I think they need a lot more clarity, a, a lot more people are not understanding. And there's so many rules that are general rules, but then in certain cases are changes. So, you know, yeah. young young kids, health needs. So it, it does make it difficult. So for example, they say one person can go shopping. 
But if you are a solo person with a couple of kids, what are you going to do with those little kids? Are you going to leave them, what, in the car <laughs> or, you know, tie them up um, um, outside, you know, <laughs> stay there, I'll be back. So that's where the common sense comes in. Of course, you've got two kids, you take them with you. Mm. But, you know, that they're the sort of rules that people don't, you know, can't somehow cipher. They can't work it out. But anyway, look, it's a, it's a mad world and it's certainly um, we're a lot more subdued about it the second time. The first time I think people kind of got, became quite creative. They did things with it. They somehow knew they had to go through it. But now there's a, there's a different energy. There's a real... Um, it's, a, it's scaring people a lot more and they know that they suffered the first time financially probably and socially, emotionally, mentally, but this time um, there's a different energy. There certainly is a different energy. I mean, that first first time when it gave us all that, um, I mean, for me it was like spending so much time on my own for a long, long time. It was time to think about lots of stuff and it's certainly... Um, uh, it brings up all these things that you need to face, and and yeah, I suppose as you when you're older, you can reflect and look at life differently. And it was it was a challenging time, but I could see myself through it. I could talk to myself, uh, you know, watch Netflix, watch lots of interesting Netflix, read books, and then talk to myself about about life. You know, so looking at it now, and I feel the pain because I'm I'm not handling emotionally that these elderly people are dying, and it's not fair. It's just not not fair that these people are in homes there, and their families have you know have them there, and then they're gone without them even having a chance to. Um, connect with them or say goodbye that so that's that I'm finding that um it's it's really it's really um got to me this time and I I I feel I feel for those people very very much so so there's a a lot to answer a lot of questions and a lot of answers that people um deserve to 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 have soon I hope why it's happened like this yeah the the aged care sector has probably taken the the brunt of this and it's places where people do go to get care and do go to be safe in their latter stages of life and and then for the virus to to run through there not only in australia but around the world too that's taken yeah. sadly the brunt of the the health yeah. issues for sure no oh, and it's just not fair it's as simple as that <laughs> it's it's just uh, for an old an old person uh, for these elderly people it's just been traumatic and and um and yeah and sitting with all that and hearing another 11 today and 13 yesterday and you know and they're in their 80s and 70s and there was a, a one in their 60s yesterday one in their hundreds this that uh, today mm-hmm. um i mean you know i just um so thank god i um i've got to just keep busy because it's just um it's important not to watch TV all the time. It's so important to to get a balance yourself because um, emotionally and mentally it is very, very taxing if you're a sensitive person, <laughs> like I know I am, 
And because I have been volunteering since I've been back in this in my country town, after I've you know forty years of teaching, I came back to Myrtleford and looked after my parents. You know, so there I, I started having a different connection uh, with an elderly group, and then I end up volunteering to because I drive a bus, so I, I volunteer to you know get this this bus and go pick up. Uh, you know, the elderly and we take them to a centre and, you know, we go for a drive, you know, different places and we've had the best time, you know, and it's just been wonderful having this interaction and the stories that they used to tell, amazing stories. My main one, one was on a Monday when I used to work with the Italian group because we have a special group on a Monday and the stories and the fun and the um, history and, you know. So I suppose I got kind of, um, I kind of saw, I never ever thought that I'd be coming from teaching and then working into it because I was, I'm part of what they call the Alpine Health Group and I represent the consumer and I work in that, on that level to check out how the consumer and then if there's any issues, I bring it back to a, a board that we have and we discuss, you know, this this and this and this has to be done, you know, in the in our community and then, you know, things like that. So I've had a, a, a beautiful time working with the elderly people in the last, um, you know, eight years and it's been an honour, actually a privilege to be part of part of it. So I, I, I know why now I'm, I'm having this reaction, I think, hearing about these stories. It's worth unpacking because discrimination, we tend to think of race, we tend to think of, you know, religion or sexuality and all of that, which is all there, but we we often forget the aged group, the aged sector that is often discriminated against. And we see it right now that the economy becomes more important than the aged people's health, you know, to many people. And when Andrews is saying we're going to lock down because this isn't good enough, it, it make some people say, well, it's only affecting them. But I love the fact that you've actually been able to not only, you know, be heading towards your, uh, your past your middle stages of life anyway, and but, yes, then actually, yes. but yeah. being those that are even at that next age group there and connecting with them on a human level and experiencing their, their stories. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say, first of all, on that discrimination point about the well, age? I, I, yeah. I tell you what really uh, I was uh, an image that came on Facebook. A uh, little old lady climbed up a, a ladder. I, I think it was only three steps. And she was writing on the wall, old people matter. And it was in a black and white image on Facebook. Well, that just got me because this is, you know, it, it, we, <laughs> You just said the word discrimination because I mean we've had black people matter, you know, and so so it just it hit me. I'm thinking <laughs> an image like that um, just spoke volume because that person that uh, you know when because of the the stories that I have been involved in listening to in the past eight years and 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 the journeys that I've been in, involved with these people. And um, some of these people who have come from overseas and they came to Bonagilla or, you know, to places like that or they came out and they had nothing in their life but, you know, they, they created this amazing family and, and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, that whole beautiful history and stories that a little town like we have here 
we have a, a, a volume, a history here that's been, you know, because, I mean, I left this little town in the 70s. But I, you know, I came back, what, 10 years ago and thinking, you know, I'll look after my mum and dad and I'll go back where, you know, but no, no. I, I, now I understand the value of communities and how they they help each other, and 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 the thing too in, in in local communities like this, when the bushfires or when there's floods or tragedies, they've all come together. You can see this. Um, everybody just you know you're like a brother and sister. You're all in there together, except this COVID, this virus thing is brought out some other sides or other elements of humanity that fear or greed I don't know what it is um but it's really brought out another side of people that um that's um made me step back and thinking yeah when they think is it the end of the world coming <laughs> so I'm going to grab as much as I can just like all that stupid toilet paper I just saw another side of people I've just seen an, um a side that has made me just sit in my house and and think how 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 do you approach how do you talk to, to to these people? Yeah, but anyway, you do you do talk and you just have to do it a little bit at a time and say no no well, you know maybe maybe the reason why people react because they're scared or you have to challenge people but carefully you, you, you chip away at their own because they've they've got their own values or their own concepts or their own way of thinking and it's not the same as you well then. Okay, I'm not going to put my, well, I've, I've learned. I can't put my, what I believe, um, especially even in my own family I've noticed, you know, we're different. We're all so different and yet it's accepting that difference, it's, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's just all that's been a big challenge, let's say. Yeah. So we, we, you mentioned the word clarity and that there isn't much clarity at the moment and you mentioned, you know, turning away from TVs and the screen. I know social media is a big uh, problem yes. with, yes. you know, people entering like this echo chamber of their own thoughts and then, you know, really demonising the other. Is it because we are so isolated because it is a virus that is spreading when we have contact that makes this much more difficult than bushfires and floods that are maybe more dangerous immediately, but this virus actually seems to be more dangerous on a political or social level than the other natural disasters, don't you think? Yeah, well, it, it, it fires and floods and whatever brings people together. This has divided us. So I, I am certainly seeing division. I'm certainly seeing individualism. I'm certainly seeing I'm more important. I need to look after myself. Um, you might be in a group and you can hear them all talking about, oh, this virus is doing this and this. But I'm picking more. I'm picking up that it's it's all about me. It's all about me. You know, each one uh, are talking about their own issues and I'm finding that they're not actually listening or hearing what, you know, the other person is feeling because, they 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 taken they've taken on this. It's amazing. I would say there has to be like a, an element of fear and not knowing where the hell are we going. And so we're more caught up in our um, in our own world. And obviously, the word is isolation, isn't it? 
And what I read yesterday um, something about the COVID trinity. COVID trinity is washing, isolation, and there was something else too, and mask. There you COVID trinity. And that's what makes us, because of, we've been isolated, we're too caught up in our own little world. There, there's, there's my my thinking that, you know, does not, has not brought people together. It's actually it divided us. And, mm. and politically, you can see that. I'm, I'm, I'm so annoyed when I'm hearing, uh, there is Daniel Andrews, okay, you know, I mean, everyone stuffs up. I'm not saying he's, you know, he hasn't stuffed up or his government hasn't stuffed up. But then you've got the opposition. Who's, it's appalling behaviour. Um, the way uh, they are name calling, or anyway, so um, there's there's that again, there's that division, and, and then you've got you know your Trumps, who's another one who has divided the world, all right. I mean, he calls it the Chinese disease or the Chinese whatever. So immediately he's already you know um, influence or thinking influence you know people. So we are there's a politically we are divided in the world. And I, I don't know, um, I think it's like from day to day, from day to day, what do we do? I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow, do you? <laughs> no, no, and that's uh, part of it, don't you think, that the element of yes. control is gone? People felt in control of their lives. I don't know if anyone really had control, but at least there was this illusion of control in your life. And all of a sudden, something that is pretty serious, but in a way is minor compared to a lot of the other you know, apocalyptic events that could hit us at any stage, you know, nuclear war, climate change, all, all sorts of things that could uh, affect us. Well, it's connected, isn't it? Climate change, all that sort of stuff's connected. But all I'm waiting for is an alien to just turn up. Because <laughs> that's all we need. Let's hope it's a friendly one. I'm watching too much. I'm watching War of Worlds. I'm too much TV. So you said that, you know, in the 70s you left uh, Myrtleford. I will go back and get your biography. But before that, we're on this element of talking about control and about a unique time in history. I know the 70s was a big time for uh, 70s, 80s, 60s, you know, was a time of the Cold War, a time of great division as well. And then even the 90s with uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union and different genocides happening throughout the world. And then you had the September 11 attacks in 2000. So we have never had a really time of complete peace and safety, but people find this time to be more unique or more pressing than ever. Do you find that this is a unique time or that it's just history repeating? We live in Australia. We're living on the other side of the world. And we weren't really touched by a lot. We know. We read with the news. And then those earlier days, it was, okay, the news. It wasn't the social media as much. And, of course, you know, you, the, the concerns, especially people who have migrated to this country, they would have had a connection in some way that way. Um, I think the, one of the hardest things was 9-11 to me because I, I remember where I was. I was teaching in the Blue Mountains and I... I couldn't believe it, you know, when you turn it on the TV that morning, you saw that. So that would, that to me is probably one of the one of the most significant things that actually hit me, that made it a lot more real. That 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 visual thing was not actually a movie; that it actually happened in in the in the states. 
and it affected the whole school. I remember, you know, like the, um, there were teachers coming into the to the school crying. Um, so it was a very powerful time that time. And sure, there, you know, um, other things that have happened in the other side of the world. We weren't travelling as much maybe in the in the 70s or 80s, although I did start travelling in the late 80s. But this is different. This is this is hit Australia. This this is we we have not been able to avoid this. This is not in Europe or in America because I mean we're used to America always with terrorism or you know the bombing in in, in these places. Um, you know we, we're used to all that. We've somehow been it's been kind of out there. But this is this is here. This is now. Australia is connected now. It's like this little island is no longer an island somehow. And it, 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 is, it, it has to affect us. And how many Australians were overseas? I mean, I was supposed to go in April last, earlier this year, you know, and, um, you know, am I going to go next, in April next year? No, I'm, I, there's no way I'm going to go next year. I, I wouldn't feel that I could go. I, I don't want to leave Australia. Because at least I know that well, you're not hearing like all these thousands and thousands of people um, who are dying in, I mean, Iran today, they even showed, you know, they weren't even telling us the whole truth, the whole fact. But there's actually quite a, a lot more. Brazil, America, I mean, even Donald Trump says, nah, you know, she'll be right, we're on top of it. Yeah. So I think, no, Australia... We're lucky. We keep saying we're lucky, but it is we are touched. We are touched. So that's our world. We, I feel like I am connected to the rest of the world on an emotional, on a spiritual, on a, a, a many levels with the rest of the world. I mean, when it hit Italy, of course, you know, mm. there's, there's Italian blood in me. So na- naturally there was, you know, that sense as well. That was hard to see that. Yeah. Yeah. You you talked earlier about having to reflect on your life and I I will get into your life and talk all about it but while we're on the covid time and that was more the external things that were going on that we we're just talking about what about the internal things that you were going the internal battles you said you got through it with creativity and and almost with an end line in sight and you feel a little bit different now do you expect yourself to get back to feeling okay with what's going on soon and what message would you have or what learnings did you get that you can actually share with others? I don't know if I, I don't even know if we're going to get back because there's no, there's, they don't sense to give us any hope. But even WHO, you know, he says, well, there may not be a, a cure for this. Obviously we're going to have to learn to live with it. So that's the thing. How are we going to learn to live with it? So do we wear these masks every day for the rest of my life? You know, I'm used to Asians wearing masks because they have been used to doing that for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, and I never, you know, I've seen an Asian person wear the mask. I've never looked twice because I've always thought, well, that's something that's part of their culture. They, they, they wear, they've been wearing that for years. Um, but this is probably what's going to happen for us. I, you know, I'm going to have to go down out this door and and wear this mask every time I go outside in this little town <laughs> mm. where we haven't had, thank God, 
no, you know, we haven't had any issues whatsoever in, this, in, in our regional area, in this part of uh, whatever, um, but we've, we're also penalised as well because we're, well, we're in Victoria. What, what The learning, you know, Matthew, you sit with it and you feel like I, I can't believe it, I can't believe I'm in it, I have to live with it. What's it, what's it done for me? Um, I'm a lot more emotional. Um, I feel for others so much more. I have two elderly aunts in their late 80s and they're my only connection to my mum and dad. So for me, I would be devastated if anything happens to those two ladies and I visit them every second day, you know, even if I have to you know, from the door or whatever. I have to make sure they're okay. They're still, you know, active. You know, they've got their little property there and they're fine. But I have, I'm aware that my mum and dad are not there, but these two are my mum's sister. So for me, I'd be devastated. And as my aunt, one of them says, I know I'm old. I know I have to die, but please, please, I don't want to die of this uh, disease. And I know why, because she, it would be, she'd be on her own, you know. And, and, and recently someone had to go to the hospital because she was in a lot of pain, so she had to go to Wangaratta and her husband wasn't allowed to go in. So she had to go through this whole procedure on her own and it wasn't until 10 hours later she was put into a ward for three days and she wasn't allowed to see anybody. Thank God she could, you know, ring. But she said, Mary, I, I've got the language. But if it had been someone like my aunt in there for those 10 days, that would have, oh, I, I don't know how, what, that would have been just something that I think would have been really, really hard for us to handle. We would have to, of course, but emotionally, emotionally, it is affecting us. Mentally, I've always been, I thought, I mean, you know, I've always been fairly okay up here, but I understand. I'm understanding. I'm, I'm, I'm more understanding of what mental, when people have, they talk about people having mental issues. I can understand that. I can understand how easily one can get so, um, can get caught up mentally. Um, I mean, I have to keep taking deep breaths. I occasionally have my little whiskey at night. That really helps me to sleep. But I understand. I understand how easily you can lose it. And as I said, I'm, it's, I'm, whether I'm getting older, but I'm, I'm a lot more te- teary than I, you know, um, than I used to be, a lot more emotional. At that point you made about, you know, a place that hasn't been touched by the disease directly but has been touched by the practices we now have to put in place, isolating. Yes and actually not being able to visit our loved ones, it makes it hard for politicians. You know, we talked about Andrew's, you know, going hard at it, which is great on one level, but then on the other it's if you are losing a loved one, you know, there's there's definitely ways you can feel. That's that's heartbreaking. And the fact that, you know, like they put them in the coffin and they seal the coffin and you can't even say goodbye, you know, as as people, some people or some cultures are used to doing Mm. it. I keep saying it is really, I, I wonder, you know, whether a lot of people will have a lot of heart issues 
not because of the disease, but because it's hurting us. It could be, you know, people could just die of broken hearts because it's been so hard for some people. Some people harder than others. I I know that you're a, a spiritual person, Mary. What have you done personally? You know, the deep breaths was part of it, but have you incorporated prayer, meditate? What sort of practices have you incorporated to keep yourself sane during this time? Music. You know, I've got a banjo, I've got a guitar, I've got a um, my ukulele, and then, you know, the beauty of YouTube is that you can play along. So I'm not on my own sometimes. I've got my garden out there that I um, at one At one stage, I have to be honest, at one stage I could not motivate myself. You know, somebody's, you know, all these people making bread and and I'm, I don't do that. I don't do the cooking. That's not my cup of tea. I'm more of the other, I'm, I'm different, uh, a different type of creativity or people are into craft. It took me ages to motivate my, to even get out and do some gardening. But now I, I, I had to say to myself, set up, you have got to set yourself a project, Mary. Even if it's 10 minutes, you've got to set yourself a project. So, you know, today I'm going to do clean out this music cupboard or um, today I'm going to, um, you know, do this patch of gardening and today I'm going to, um, you know, plant three or four trees, you know. So I've had to do that to give myself a purpose. So I even got excited the other day because I, Oh, I'm 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 a president of a local club here, which is a it, we've got you know it's a it's a club that's also gambling. It's a gambling uh, club, but it's also we have lots of fun. We can have over three hundred people. It's a it's it started sixty something years ago. It used to be the Italian club, still is kind of, but it's it's more a it's a social club, you know, a gambling social whatever. Now, you know, we've got staff, so. Um, I'm on the board, but I'm um, and I, I sit with the manager once a week, and that gives me at least on a Monday a purpose that I've got to go and you know, I support this guy because you know we've got staff to look after and, and give them some something for them to come back and do, even if it's cleaning or or whatever. They need they need to feel like they're being um, useful. And so, you know, dealing with them as well and supporting the manager because, you know, he's a young fellow and keep him, you know, keep him going. Although, you know, you can start feeling we we were allowed to have 20 and starting to have little functions and now it's all gone. Gaming, of course, you know, that's going to take a a long time for all the machines to be uh, back, back, you know, you can't do gaming. People are too close together for gaming, so um, that that gives me a purpose. So, so you have to have a purpose. You have to mentally give yourself something to do. Like my sister-in-law, and my brother, they cook. They make bread every day. All right, my brother-in-law in Melbourne, they make bread every day. Uh, they do something. So they they do it together because they're married. You know, so they do that kind of. But me, I live on my own, so it's like having to. You know, when you're on your own, it sometimes you have to kind of kick yourself and say, come on, um, if you sit there, it's going to get worse. So thank God I feel like 
in the last two or three weeks I've, by giving myself these little, you know, I, I can't go through this next two, two months without, I can't, I can't do the same as I did before. I've got to do something different. Look at this next six weeks in a different, a different way. Purpose is the word. I've, I've got to have, I have to have a purpose. Yeah, like purpose. talking to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, purpose is one of the most important things in life that we ever have. And a lot of people find purpose in their job or, you know, in raising kids or whatever they do. But yeah, um, when, exactly. when it's ripped away from them, like it has been at this time, it is so important, as you said, to find that purpose. And and I think that's that's key, as you said, and creativity and doing stuff you love. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mary, it was Miss Mary, Miss Mary Tomeno. You were my teacher in the, the mid-90s and my Italian teacher. And that's how I know you and, you know, I hadn't seen you for a very long time until we randomly ran into each other in your small country town of Myrtleford a few years back. But um, other than that, I don't know all that much about you. So can we start at the beginning about uh, a little bit about your life, an introduction to you? Well, when I left here uh, in the early 70s, I went to study and I became a teacher. And my first gig was in Brunswick, Sydney Road. I did, you know, a couple of years then and then I became a nun, of course, and um, I did a few years as a Sister of Mercy and that, that kind of took me in different places around Melbourne and a little trip in Mildura and it was about in the mid-'80s so, that I left the sisters and I kept teaching. I mean, I, you know, my career was teaching all the time. But my interest in, the, in teaching was always, I, I, I didn't see it as a job. I never saw it as a job. That's why I remembered people like yourself. I have a lot of fond memories of, um, of I can tell stories about individuals because I remember them. I remember their story. I think my life with kids and with people has always been around story. I, I, I knew their story or they knew my story or we shared stories. And, and they're the sort of things that I, I just have always, I valued so much, you know, like wasn't it, I took you to the footy, didn't I? Wasn't yeah, yeah, I remember Victoria Park, uh, Collingwood Fremantle, yes. I think it was. <laughs> and, do, and do you remember the reason why also? You were the youngest out of the group that I took. I remember you saying that it was usually grade fives and sixes, and I think I was That's right. very young, very young. But I, you were, I think you might have been about seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think it was, uh, I remember because um, there was a teacher said, you weren't very good at your mathematics. And I remember saying to her on the, on the Monday, because after the weekend, and you had your record, your football record, and you had it all worked out. That are that are the way you had it all written down each quarter, whatever, whatever. And I remember with great delight going to that teacher the next on the Monday. Said, "Don't give me that. I won't say it, but don't give me that. You know that he doesn't know his maths. He knows his maths. Is it's just the way sometimes people introduce mathematics? Because I've learnt that with another. I remember another kid that I had in grade five who." never looked at, you know, he couldn't do his maths and yet his parents owned a pizza place 
And I went to this pizza place and I used to sit with him and say, okay, if I want one-eighth of that pizza, what would you do? Or, you know, like we talked about how many meals in a bottle of wine or, you know, what, what sort of glass, whatever. And this kid can answer me all this stuff about mathematics. So it, 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 all, it always used to give me a, a different story about how individuals learnt. And I think that's the thing that I've always valued as a teacher to know the story of those in front of you, you know. And there's lots of, lots of things in my life that I, I've, I've, I don't know, it's still there. There's a section in my heart that is it's, it's, I can see all these individuals. I remember walking to school because I didn't live that far from um, when I was at, in Thornbury and there was this kid that came out of the house and obviously mum and her had a huge blue and they were yelling and screaming at each other and she had was ahead of me. And I was watching this this young lady walk into school and I thought to myself, there's going to be two things with her. She's either going to have a good day and not worry about what just happened or she's going to have the worst day of her life. But will anybody know that? You know, and, and there were in, there were lots of little incidents that I believe that I was presented with or maybe I had the insight to see that I am learning from that experience to bring back into my classroom because from the, things like that I would bring back to my classroom and say, okay, we're not going to start our reading program at 9 o'clock. We're going to start at quarter past 9 because I wanted to do a little debriefing Within, with my class. So if any crap happened at home, there was some way we can do a bit of debriefing so that when they get into their studies, they had a time to either, I used to do a bit of breathing, I used to do a bit of meditation. I, I did all sorts of things. So it, it gave them a chance to somehow debrief before they started their class, their actual lessons. And I, and I remember this one person uh, school challenging me saying to me Mary you should be starting your reading right at nine o'clock why are you starting later and I remember saying because she was younger than me don't you ever tell me how to teach my kids I said you don't know their stories but I do and she just left me <laughs> she just left me and I and and I have I even have a tape here that was done with grade threes who were meditating for about 15 minutes every morning, you know, and someone actually came in and took a film, a, a film of it because they said, I've, we've never seen that happen for a little eight-year-old to sit there, you know, breathing and just being, you know, and then we went into our, our studies and it worked to me. It, there were things like that that um, I valued and I still value, but, I guess I was doing it a bit with the elderly people, just valuing and seeing them as individuals, stories, their stories. I like people's stories. I think it's the it's amazing that that story itself is amazing, and people's stories are the most important thing. And I think it's a uh, something that is missing in the world now. That's full of data. It's full of numbers. It's full of you know this stuff from the outside. You don't have to know anyone, but you can say, oh this percentage of people in Preston have this issue, but no one's really able to do anything to fix it because we don't know the individual. We don't know the story. No. Have you noticed a, a, a change in the way that we view the world uh, now that we have more information? It's actually less information in many ways. 
It is. I, I, I um, It's in here. We're not going in here. You hear people, they do, oh, I don't know, they do Tai Chi or they do yoga, they do whatever, uh, and I'm not, not against it because, you know, I found Tai Chi boring. But I always, I always, t- I don't know what it is. It's something about I keep going to knowing, knowing the story, knowing the person, having time with that person. I do, I miss that part living in this little town because I had a network of people. I had this fabulous network of people. And my mates in New South Wales, whom, you know, because I live on my own, I could just get in the car and I used to drive up there and have a few days up there. Or if I want to go and see my friends in Melbourne, I'd just get in the car. That's the thing that's getting me too because I cannot do that now. So I am missing that network of my kind of friends or my network that I don't have here. It's a different network here. Those people in Melbourne journeyed with me. Uh, It's funny. I've come back to this town and my friends whom I used to go to school with, some of them have always stayed here and they've had kids and their grandparents or whatever they are now. But they didn't know. They don't know what I did for 40 years. You know, I mean, I'm glad some of it I didn't. I don't care if they don't know anyway. But the thing is that they don't. And I don't know their story. I know that their parents and their grandparents and they work their little butt out either on tobacco farms or, or you know, the whatever farming they did. But they remained in this town. Well, I had a very different because I also worked overseas and I travelled a lot um, in, in different parts of the world for a few years working with this group called the Emmaus Productions because I, I was doing spiritual clowning with this lady and we went to different parts of the world, like in New York, whom I just lost a friend with COVID earlier this year, a lovely Monsignor. And he was a beautiful man, you know, and I met him in Staten Island, you know, and we worked there and then in different parts in, in, in London and Ireland and Scotland. So we met and, and we worked a lot with people, not not kind of the, the church, it, it was sort of church, but it wasn't, it was a very liberal type of um, spirituality. It was called, we were doing spirituality through performing arts, so through music, through mime, and believe it or not, I was a mime, so I didn't even talk for it, sometimes three hours, so I'd be, you know, involved in this. Um, but it was very powerful tool. It was very powerful. Um, I, you know, I, I met some most amazing people, and, again, I keep going to the heart. It touches you. These these stories and these individuals and, and their amazing lifestyle or their life, and it even, you know, may challenge my lifestyle too, you know, because I, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do this and this and this or you get all uptight about this and this. Hey, it's not, that's there's more to life than having to do it that way or, you know, um, I've learned that the world, the, the, the world is big. We are big. You step out from here, you step over out, outside yourself and it's wide. And I remember when I um, had to give a talk, at, um, I was a, a big, large gathering, I was involved in this and I had to give this talk and I stood there and then all of a sudden I realised I was not alone. I felt like there's, there's 
all this information or all these experiences that were behind me. Like I, I, I knew I was not alone. I could share, I could sit and share about things and it wasn't just, I wasn't just me, it was just me. I was talking, but it was like um, all these different experiences, all these, um, you know, and, and I, I've had some crap stuff too. It's, it hasn't been always beautiful. There's been some real um, amazing challenges, uh, even in relationships that I had to, you know, to work through. And and I, I suppose in my uh, in my if, what what if someone says to me, you know, will you are you one to one? Would you have one person in your life as your partner or as your? I can't do that. I've tried. But I can't have one person. I mean, that sounds like I'm, um, I am, I don't specialise. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I just, I have, I mean, I like to have a relationship, but it doesn't mean that I am going to just devote and commit myself to to you because I can't do that. I've, ne- I've, I've had to come to terms with that because I, I was struggling with why am I not, able to stay in a one relationship what is this you know like you know first I thought oh yeah well you know that person's not for you or that person you know but I just realized I realized it's not something for me as I said to myself you don't specialize in one person you don't no one owns me and I don't own I find it really difficult saying oh that's my wife or that's my husband the word mine always Mm. pisses me off I don't want to um, insult anybody. I don't mean as an insult to anybody. It's it's for me, my experience, this is someone I share my life with, but this person has other, other things in life. Mm. You know, they, they don't um, specifically, because I know um, I always get a little bit annoyed with my sister, say, for example, I, will, I want her to come and stay here for a few days. She says, I can't leave my husband. So, you know, and then I realised, well, that's that's the way it is for them. That's the, They've done things together, they cook together, they whatever do together. And it's the same as my brother with his wife. So it's that's their choices, whereas I've not not been in that situation. And it might be weird, but, you know. Yeah, the, the, the most interesting part of that, and I wanted to bring this up when you first said that, you you know, you took me to the footy and other people to the footy or you went to the pizza shop or you walked, you know, saw someone have a bad day walking to school, you, you wouldn't have been able to find these things out and then actually act on on your your insights if you had that one partner possibly, if you had your own one partner with kids or, or whatever, with hobbies that you do together on these days religiously or whatever, you wouldn't have been able to then connect with these other people. So when you say you don't specialise, it gives you an idea to have a broad view on life. And, and you even said that, I mean, you've mentioned teaching, you've mentioned being a sister, you've mentioned spiritual clowning. Yeah, so, and I want to go into all of this. So you've, all of that can't happen or, or is much more difficult to happen when you do specialise, when you do submit yourself in a, in a home, in the same town. Well, I, I guess that, yeah, I guess that's where maybe uh, the definition, the definition of vocation maybe, uh, when you have an actual vocation, when people say, how do you know you've got a vocation? How do you know you wanted to be a sister? How do you know? That, that to me today makes sense 
it may not have made sense, you know, then when I did become a sister and I said, oh, yeah, it's my vocation or it's my calling. But it's different now, okay? It's it's not just, it seems to be deeper than just the word vocation, all right? For me, it feels like it, something is really, really grounding in me, knowing that I've had all these years of um, developing who I am today. I can say that. I said all these different experiences of my life makes me who I am today. I mean, and and that, you know, if if people can see that and they can sit and they can talk about it, that's why I love talking to the oldies because I'd say to them, I would say to them, when you came to this country, which ship did you come on? Why did you come on that ship? What happened when you were on that ship? You know, and 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 they sometimes like, oh my, Allah, you know, they would talk to you, and, and I said, no, no, I want to know what happened to you when you were on that ship. What happened when you arrived to this country? Because I mean, my, my my listening to my grandfather and my parents and their story, it was horrific stuff when they first came to this country. You know, people don't realize. Um, how hard it was for them. They left their parents and they actually left their parents. Not like today where they may have left their parents but they can go back and see them. Although I'm not talking about refugees because that's a, that's a different issue. Refugees have left situations where, you know, are we, is it going to happen to Australia? Are we going to become refugees? Are we going to leave um, Australia and try to find a country? Maybe I might go to New Zealand to live because it might be safer. <laughs> But you know, you know that, that, that they're the sort of things that um, that makes the person who they are today. And I haven't got these grey hairs for nothing, have I? <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> so, what made you the person that was young? That when you left Myrtleford, how old were you when you left Myrtleford? Eighteen. Eighteen. So, when you were eighteen, how did you know? First of all, did you go well, straight into stu- teaching? Yeah, yeah, I went to study. And and you so went to study I, teaching, but then was the was the sisterhood, the Sisters of Mercy, something you found once you arrived in Melbourne? Or yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes, I did, I did. I, I always had that in me. I always had this this thing that I always got on well with the nuns, and I always used to go and pray every morning. Even as I was eight years old, I used to go into the church and say, "G'day, God," not you know, "Dear Father," "Dear whatever." No, I'd say, "G'day, God." <laughs> All right, none of this. Um, I was never holy, holy that way, but I had a, a sense of something. All right, a sense of um, I could, you know, every morning I'd ride my bike, I'd go into the church, g'day, God, look after me today, see you later, that's it. And I'd go back to school, and then they're the sort of things that are kind of that connection that I've had a relationship in something um, that took me, that guided me, and I. You know, the word, I guess, is spirituality. But I had it when I was about eight years old. I still, you know, I can go back to that age and and, and know where it came from. And, and yeah, and from then on, things just evolve. I just got involved in, I just got involved with things that helped me to meet people, helped me to grow. I became involved in, you know, in in running weekends, uh, spirituality weekends. I was trained in communication skills and trained to work with youth and, you know, we just kind of, um, you know, I wasn't just teaching. I had all these other lifestyle things happening and then I'd come to school and teach anyway. But I still used to do things on weekends and, 
um, which developed me more and more as um, as the person, and, you know, and the nunnery kind of taught me um, a lot of other things, taught me things that, you know, makes me question today about, about church. It certainly has given me a, um, an insight. I know what it's like to live within that institutional church. I know the bullshit that was happening inside institutional church. I was never a George Powell fan from when I was in the convent. So to me, you know, there were there were issues happening back then uh, for, for me and, 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 yeah. And then my relationships with um, there's some really good priests that are, you know, a couple of them, are, two or three of them are very special friends. But they're the ones that are suffering now because they're the ones that they're the ones that are out there. They're not the one. They're not your traditional because the younger priests that are coming out now are very traditional. Are very um, it's scary. It is scary with um, what I'm seeing in the church with the younger the younger priests. Uh, fundamentally, uh, they are you know um, scary. Um, I believe in. Um, a freedom of theology. I studied theology, um, um, liberation theology. Yeah, so heaps and heaps of stuff that when I was travelling overseas in with um, with Amaya's productions, they're the sort of stuff that I, I met these um, liberal priests and liberal bishops. That you know later on um, things got you know um, hard for them. Yeah. So I, I miss all that. I'll be honest. I miss all that, that uh, my world um, opening to not that little, that little Italian girl from a little country town, but my world started just exploding once I, I left this town and, yeah. Can you remember the first time that you felt that world opening moment? Was there, can you, can you look back and go, this is this is my pathway. This is my journey. This is what I want to do. Was there a moment that you can remember that captured you? Yeah, I think when I travelled, because the lady um, Monica Brown, who's a very well um, known, her work is she bases herself in Ireland a lot. Her work and her music. She's a beautiful um, musician, and um, uh, her words are just beautiful. Working with her and and we had such a great, great relationship. Um, I used to make her laugh. She just, you know, I used to do all, play tricks on her and she had such a great sense of humour. But the the fact is that I was able to, 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 it hit me as this little clown, but not only that, but but the clown, I suppose, you're in that, you're, I've taken a persona that's, um, my my clown name was Ufa, so her her persona was different. All right, so she could get up to anything. I had permission to do anything because a clown can, right? And so I could go up to this bishop and put my foot up on his knee and and point and get my shoelaces done by the bishop. Like I would do hysterical things like, um, I mean, it depends. George Powell was present at a particular function. No, I couldn't do it to, to that man. But um, there, were, there were things that um, allowing me to be, not Mary, but allowing me to be this other side of me, which I then took advantage 
and, and, and giving yourself permission uh, to explore the possibilities. And then, of course, when, you know, I came back into um, to being Mary, it, it kind of balanced, it gave me a balance of a, a part of me. It balanced me, I guess. It balanced me. And, of course, that, that carried on. That carried on and um, in my personal life and able to um, then, you know, be involved in in other stuff. In, when I went on, I ended up getting my um, my master's and then I worked in, um, in Sydney as well and worked with um, teenagers then as I later on. When I left the um, performance because it wasn't paying much, I wouldn't have this house if I still... Um, <laughs> If I was still clowning around. <laughs> so I had I had to grow up, okay? And I had to say, well, Mary, you know, you need to um you, you need to realize you will be getting older later on and what are you gonna do with um your life? You know, because this you can't be forever in this position. So I went back to teaching and um and then you know end up owning about three or four houses and now this is it. <laughs> All right. My my last house. <laughs> yeah. We talk about oh, for the clown and, and clowning around, but then also so much magic that would have come from that and, and meeting people. You, you've mentioned a few people around the world. What countries? So you went to the US, you know, Ireland, Scotland, uh, Britain. Yeah. Where else did you, where did, did that take you? Um, we were based in Ireland, but we would go to uh, America, did a fair bit in America. Um, one of the most, um, well, we, we kind of build up a relationship in, in a parish in Staten Island, um, New York there, just out of um, But one of the most amazing experiences was we were in um, the other side of, on the West Coast, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, and that was, to me, that was not America. I saw that as the people were different because they were mm. Hispanic Indian, you know, Indian um, background, and I used to say to them, "You guys, you're so different than that part of the of America." It was a different, uh, a different world, and I, I really, I really, really enjoyed that that um, experience because you'd be driving from Albuquerque to Santa Fe, and I, I would take the car and just go for a, um, a day trip, and you know, you'd be there's all this isolation, you know, out there that you'd take a drive. And, and and then you see these places that they they used to build like these little um, adobos, you know, those little um, like a con- um, like mud mud brick kind of things. Yeah. And you couldn't see them during the day, but at night you see all these lights. And think, like, where in the hell? Where is these cities? But that because they were all built uh, um, according to the uh, into the landscape, you know, isn't it? Almost. The landscape, yeah. yeah. But I, I did that. That was to me. And then you, it's the people. It's the people. The people you. You met, you know, these the Mexican background and the Indian, and and again, you know, I'm learning something from another culture. America is an interesting country, although I think it's a sad country. Not that I'll be saying it uh, as I found it a bit sad um, because I think that's when I realised Australia we are we are lucky because it's so good to get back to Australia. Once you travelled around, and I realised what we've got in this country. I remember meeting like a ninety-year-old. He was the, a bus boy, um, not bus as in driving, but you know, collecting the cups and saucers and all that sort of stuff. 
because uh, that was his living. He had to still survive. He didn't have a pension like we get. So this is a 90-year-old collecting, you know, cups and sauces and whatever at the airport. He says, oh, no, I have to still work. You know, I used to see some, yeah, some real, um, there, were, there were some interesting concepts about America, and it still is anyway. It still is. In London, uh, England, fabulous. Scotland, uh, Glaswegians are a fantastic bunch of people. Edinburgh's lovely, but they're more reserved or they're more posh. But uh, mm-hmm. the Glaswegians, I love them. Absolutely. Not that I understood when they bloody spoke because <laughs> I couldn't understand. Except some of them spoke very nice Italian, so I could speak Italian to them, believe it or not. Um, the accent disappears yeah. with the Italian, does it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was beautiful, uh, yeah. beautiful experiences. And, I, yeah, I was very fortunate to have travelled a lot, a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, when I think of travel, I think of, like, often wanting to escape uh, Australia in a way and change the point of view. But as you said... Whenever you do it, you, you realise how great Australia is and how lucky we are and and yeah. you could pinpoint the things that make Australia great. So it's being a patriot or a, a nationalistic in Australia is great in some areas where we realise how lucky we are, but oftentimes that patriotism and nationalism is about shunning the world and, and making it more insular and becoming more fearful and greed-based instead. So... If you're, we, we love Australia and travel helps us love Australia even more, how do you ensure that Australia is the greatest, remains the greatest country in the world without becoming insular and uh, well, hidden? I, I, yeah, I, I at the moment, although I still believe we are a, a lucky country, but I, I do have some disappointments in I do have issues around the way we have treated our first our first people. I that's one to see in Myrtleford. We don't have um, that much for me to get involved a lot in um, the Aboriginal culture. I've done it through uh, meeting some artists, um, which is through my Alpine Health work, um, which has given me another another angle. There was um, an Aboriginal guy, Billy, great artist. Who I also met recently, and he they he went to Sicily. They took him to Sicily because he's a great artist, and he, he came back and he painted images of Sicily, but in an Aboriginal way, and it was spectacular. Some fantastic. Um, so that that is my you know. And then when I went to Darwin, Darwin, I saw another image that I didn't like. What they you know how they. That what you see in Darwin with the Aboriginal people, and then uh, my other experience was in um, uh, Uluru, and I did meet some uh, lovely people again, mainly through uh, the art artist, and 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 talk to them that way. But that's my only experience as an Australian, mm-hmm. Italian Australian. So I, you know, somewhere along the way, those studies that we did is all crap at school. It's like um, I, I just can't, when I read about it or when I listen to them or whatever, I just feel like I want to know more and more because I feel like I grew up not really being given the true story about um, our First Nation people. As Australian, Australia, I find that part disappoints me. That disappoints me. Politically, I get disappointed because I, I get caught up in the politics I'm disappointed because I feel like we are American-driven 
and I am so scared we're going to lose our identity um, as Australians because somehow America seems to have this hold on us and, you know, you go figure, <laughs> you know. And, and if, to pray, if I'm, I've got to pray, my prayers would be that we find some, that a great leader will emerge. We need to have a very good leader with clarity in their in their minds about what this country is about, because I cannot see that in both parties. In both parties, I cannot see that great leadership at the moment coming through. So there's a disappointment. I was a Golf Whitlam fan, I, and I liked Bob Hawke. You know, like there, there was something solid about those people, uh, but I, I'm not seeing that in in our political scene. All I'm seeing is. People like Trump, people like Boris, people like the Russian dude, the Filipino dude, North Korean dude. What the hell is this world about? That's what they're Yeah, Yeah, I'm reading a book or just finished reading a book called On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder and it's about looking at history and the history of three key sort of areas just before World War One, just before World War Two, and then after that uh, in the Cold War era and looking at history and equating historical events through the 20th century to what we're seeing now with that strong man point of view, those extreme hardline right-wing people, politicians that are using fear and anger and hatred to gain power and, and really manipulating our base feelings and uh, the, the stuff that we don't want to come out but it's so easy to draw out yeah to to take power and take command but then once they do they've actually got no real policy agenda uh, other than to make their you know their friends and family rich almost or their the cronies you know it's just power hungry rather than developing a society developing a people so that is extremely scary yeah. and is something it's that we're seeing at the highest level probably since those three times. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and I, I guess, you know, to me it's like you, you watch some of these movies that people uh, are creating, like Handmaid's Tale, and some of these kind of movies, you know, I wonder how far away are we from that kind of reality mm. um, because of the, this, the power, this power. Power seems to be uh, the control or a power and control, power and control uh, of, of civilization or of, of, of people. And, and that, that's the thing, that's what I, the world, you know, that's what I'm saying. I'm almost tempted, I'm always thinking like all we need is some alien, you know, like to, to come into this world because they probably do exist. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they're just waiting to pounce on this earth because they're getting stuffed anyway. I don't know. I, I mean, I would hope that I, I've always been an optimistic person. I've always believed that people will find the the truth in themselves. That that we should or ought to live our truth without shame. Um, that 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 seems to be evolving a bit, even with like you know um, 
the same-sex marriage stuff and all that. People have been allowed, even though there still is a bit of prejudice there, but you still see, you can see them, you know, in the movies that there's a lot more movies and you can see that people have got their male partners or their female partners or whatever. That, that seems to be more acceptable these days, depending what culture or depending what part of the world you're living in. But hopefully our path to truth can be lived. We can, we, we've got, we have to have hope. We have to, we have to have hope. And then hopefully this sense of control or power that our own hope and our own truth can overcome that, you know, without sounding religious. Well, you, you started off by saying we might end up in a dystopian future and then transform that and the optimism and hope did come out and it was about truth. Do you find yourself having those internal battles often? About the oh, positive yeah. and negative, yeah? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, the stronger part in me is hope and truth, right? Hope and truth and then live in it. That's the strong part of me. But society sometimes just, um, you know, <laughs> does this to me and then I've got to work hard to bring it back this way. And it'll be, and it doesn't matter until the day I die, it's going to be me working for my hopes and my dreams. Mm. And thank God I believe that I will go somewhere. I don't know where, but whatever. Not my body, but. (laughs) Yeah. When you were 18 or 21 or 30, you know, going through life, moments of these tough battles between optimism and pessimism where you chose hope and dreams, but. You were sort of on the on the cusp of choosing something, you know, much more fear based. Were you ever at a point where you said, "I've got to stop following my hopes, my dreams, stop being courageous. I, I've just got to go back into my shell and maybe, you know, no, no, never, never, yeah? that. no, 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 no. I have never been that sort of person. The only the only thing that I've that I found myself having to say, okay, enough is enough, Mary. You've got, to, you've got to get a job, make some money and get something so you can have somewhere to base your roots. So the fear, if it's, you want to call it fear or my challenge maybe, was later in life realising that like now I own my house, I own it, I own my car. So I don't have that hassle in my, you know, mid-60s that I need to worry that I can't pay or whatever. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy with my little pension. I'm okay. I can survive. And I, I that's the that's the bit that I've always I was concerned um, later on in life. All right. But I, I, it wasn't until I it wasn't until I think after fifty five, after fifty six, something like that, I started realizing. Oh, well. Get your act together, Mary. So I, I started growing up later in life, but I really lived my life. I, I, um, I never let fear stop me. I've had, as I said, I have had hard times. I've had heart, broken hearts. I've had tears um, and challenges, but it never, ever stopped me. I went to the next level and the next level because I've always had someone or people around me that, that you know, always gave me that sense of, um, of you know, it's okay. It's okay. Life will, life, and it is life. If you can 
I understand life as, um, you know, every day we turn the page, every day, all right, today may present with the challenges, but tomorrow is going to be different. Like the night time sometimes, you go to bed at night, sometimes you can't sleep, you're worried, whatever. It's the worst thing sometimes at night. But once the morning comes, it's not the same. You don't even, you know, did I really go through that stupid thing last night? Today is different. It's different. You feel different the next morning. So, I, I, yeah, I've always had that sense, yeah, like, you know, another day, you know, have another glass of wine or another another drink or I've got mates around, I've got good people around me, I've got good stories that's kept me going. Um, I remember this, it was, you know, this kid that um, I taught in grade six and he Years and years and years later, he was trying to contact me. And someone said, Mary, this this boy is trying to contact you. And he was a man now, okay, he was a man. And he was saying, and I, I rang him because obviously the, the person said, I'm not giving you your number, but he, I'll give you his number. And I was Sister Mary then when I knew him. And he was really um, upset about something, you know, really something that happened to him when he was in grade six. And he had that in him, that that, um, that 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 he had that for for years and years about why he didn't get this medal or this trophy when he was in grade six. This is like he would have been in his twenties or late twenties. And I'm going, I remember. Thank God, as I keep saying, thank God, I remember my kids. I remember. I said to him, "You weren't even there for four months. It was something to do with a football medal." I said, "Those four months, you were living overseas. You came back after four months, and you wanted a medal because you've only been involved for what half an hour in a particular particular football team or something." But that's that was upsetting him for all that time. And then I had to basically over the phone say to him, tell me all the good things you remember about that year. So we spent ages talking about it because he said, I remember when you drove, you took all of our class to Myrtleford because we had a fundraiser and I brought them all to Myrtleford and we stayed in Bright in a, a resort and they had to dress up and they had to, you know, fork the knife. These are kids from, you know, um, a, 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 an area where they would not have had that experience. And luckily I had my dad who we had a bus line, you know, dad would come and pick us up and with the bus and, you know, and took us all around. Now that young fellow had, you know, I said, remember all those experiences, remember all those times I used to come and sit and have a cup of coffee with you and your your grandmother and your mother. Thank God I remembered all those experiences. And and it, and it was like he had something in, in, in him. It was a little, uh, uh, the reason I'm telling you this story is that, what happened to his hope? There's something in him obviously um, stopped him from growing or moving on, but obviously to me it sounds like he was obviously at a some psychiatrist or someone said, you need to um, speak to this teacher of yours and get it off your chest <laughs> and then yeah. move on. That's what it felt like to me. And and I was able to, I, you know, I, I, I didn't apologise because I did not make it, an apology. I just said, I'm sorry for you that you have felt this way all this time that you've allowed yourself to remain stuck somewhere when, you know, but then after we had that talk, I was like, I was speaking to a different person. 
Yeah. You know, how we can hang on or linger on to something. I, I, that's something was never part of my, um, not my genre. I, I, hanging on to something? No, you don't, because that that can fester inside you. I've always been one, okay, that was a bad deal I've had or that whatever. What have I learned from that? Come on, what have I learned? Now, what can I do? All right, to to and, and and that's how I always I've always um, saw life. I really have, and I am grateful because to me I feel like again that was like a gift or a grace or something. I don't know what you want to call it. That 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 kept me um, positive. Do you find you let those things go, or you confront them early so that they don't fester? What's your tactic? No, I I do confront it, and I don't have to. Even if it's for it, with an individual, it's not even about confronting the individual or the situation. It's about okay, you're in a mess. So I look at it. I look at it. Okay, how did I get there? All right, how am I going to get out of it? Or what am I learn? What have you learned from? And I, I think I've had really good people in my life, like you know, either spiritual directors or or. Um, other people, older people that um, have guided me. I've had some really wise people in my life that have given me that that guidance. And it's always, what have I learned from that? What have I gained from that? What do you want? What do you want to do with that? Where can we go? Do you want to just sit and just watch Netflix? Or do you want to just get up and look at the sun you know feel the sun I, I mean I often sit out there just to feel the sun on my body or get the dirt and feel it in my hands so I can say I f- actually can feel that it's like you've got to do it you've got to it's got to be conscious you've got to make a, a conscious effort like if you're going to if I'm going to drink a glass for example if I'm depressed or upset I will never have a drink doesn't do anything for me mm. right but because someone said, oh, you think, Mary, because you like your whiskey. I do. But if I'm upset or if I'm depressed, Mary won't touch her whiskey because I will not enjoy it. Whereas when I'm good, when I'm okay, I will have my little whiskey because that's something my dad taught me, to have a little whiskey at night, and I sip it and I absolutely enjoy it. I do not, like my a friend of mine, he does drink, but he says, Mary, I drink and he drinks it with Coca-Cola, so he bastardizes it anyway by putting Coke in it. But he says, I drink it because I'm addicted to Coke and I would drink a whole bottle in one night, whereas me, there's no way, two maybe, two glasses, but there's no way I would ever do that because I enjoy, I savour, I really enjoy that. And I think that's life. I enjoy being out in the sun. I enjoy having a drink with my friends. I enjoy having a laugh. Uh, you know, at the moment, someone gave me a lovely skit of Joe Avati the other day on Facebook. And he's, to me, he's one of the most cleverest comedians because he doesn't use, you know, cracks uh, language. He, he, he uses situations. <laughs> And I can, I thought, yeah, that is, and and you can see, you live in it, you are actually living the story that he's telling you. And I can laugh at myself because I can, I can, I know the story he's telling of the this Italian situation that he was sharing. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what we were like as kids. Now, you know, things like that. Um, Look at something and and laugh about it or um, remember it, but don't don't put it in your body because that's I think I'm a believer in 
people who get angry and 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 grudges. People have grudge or they want revenge or um it's it's that's that's gonna that's that's cancer stuff. That that makes you that will make you sick. Um that's not what, what your life should be about. You know, I, I get really annoyed with people that they say, oh, that person, I remember when I was young, um, all the things I used to do for that person and, you know, and you can you can feel it. Why are you still talking about it? I, I thought that was 30, 40 years ago. What are you talking about? Today, what are you thinking now? What are you feeling now? You know, forget about that. That's, you know, oh, yeah, but it's hard to forget about, you know. And I, and I, for me, I, I don't have time. I will not give too much time for that sort of discussion in my life. Not today. I don't want it. I, I, I just think we just, I still have a lot. I want to live. I do want to live and I still want to go on. I'm not ready to get old, <laughs> really old yet. Capish. <laughs> <laughs> Capish. That idea of paying attention is something we miss often. And when I'm in my biggest ruts or negative periods of life, it's when I'm in my own thoughts and in my own head and reliving those negatives or wishing for something else. And meditation has taught me how little control of my mind I had and how much control you can actually get, but it takes training. Did you have to train your mind to get to the position that you're at now? Yeah, absolutely. When I first started doing meditations, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here, you know, like my mind and my eyes are shut. I'm breathing, and and my head was full of stuff. And and I used to, I used to laugh and think, well, what's going on here? I'm supposed to be meditating, and so it was, it, it was, and it was the training and also the leadership that the person. And said, let it come, let it, let it, don't fight it. Do not fight what's in your brain. Let it come and let it go. Let it come and let it go. So eventually I did let it come. I did and it went. I did. But it is training. So I could then be meditating for uh, an hour, but you've got to remember this, you could meditate for an hour, but it only happens, it only happens like, when when you totally get to this moment of emptiness up here and it might take 49 minutes or 59 minutes of the hour that you're meditating and then all of a sudden that one minute it happens you've meditated because it's not going to happen that whole time but all of a sudden something happens when you finally let it all go through it happens it's just like someone said, the dawn, the dawn happens like straight after the deepest darkness. Once it's that deepest darkness, then the dawn happens. So it's the same as in meditation. When you get to that, it happens. And you might, you might just have that wow moment or that, that amazing moment in a few seconds. And that's, that's when I know, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, I levitated once and I didn't even know what the hell happened. That scared wow. me. <laughs> the Jesus out of me. Levitate? Did you feel the levitation, or did you actually lift? Do you think? Uh- well, all I know is that I found myself totally. I, I don't know whether physically I, I, I just found myself totally out of my body. 
Mm. All right. And found myself looking down. Now that was like a very, very powerful moment. Have I done it again since? Not. But that actually happened. And that's the power of the mind, isn't it? The power of, yeah. That was the moment when I, and obviously we, we were guided. It was a guided meditation. But that was an unbelievable moment where I could look down and I could see myself, you know. And that was kind of, how do you explain that? I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't in a situation that I was dying and I died and I went, no, I yeah. was meditating. I was kind of, I must have been totally and utterly at that those seconds of total abandonment, total letting it totally go that, that somehow it allowed that moment. And I've done a lot of, um, I did a lot of studying uh, rebirthing um, when I lived in the Blue Mountains and I lived there for eight years. And rebirthing was a um, an intro. I did a, a three months of deep, deep, you know, connection with that, and that was very, very powerful. Um, that you can actually relive your birth, right? You actually live, relive it, and you and and I had this experience that I saw myself as a baby being held by this nurse, whom I didn't like the energy. All right, so this was all happening in my my being, that uh, that Mary was the baby was being held by a nurse in this red cloak, but her energy was. Ugh. And I remember talking to my mum. I said, "Now I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, mum, and it's going to sound really odd, but you know you know your daughter. I am a bit odd. Okay, so this is going to be you know when I was born was." Who was the nurse? It was a, you know, and she go, oh, she was a real bitch, that nurse that took over. She gave that such a, and I thought, oh, my God. I said, that's all I wanted to know. I said, it doesn't matter. I just had this, this like a dream, Mum. I said, I couldn't explain rebirthing to her, but I was thinking she actually affirmed and confirmed what I felt in that rebirthing session. So wow. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. So how did you get on to like rebirthing? Was it one of many different things you've tried through your life? And was it all after yeah. all yeah, after, after this being the sister? After after that, yes. All after that, of course. So I, I tried everything. I yeah. the only thing I haven't um I tried everything. That sounds funny. I, I I'm open. I'm open. I and I'm still open, you know, um to to whatever. I, I feel I feel that I'm still I don't know what's next. Like that's what's happening in me. Mm. Something else has got to come from this. There's got to be more to to me just being here now. I feel like all this is leading me somewhere else, and it'll happen. I don't know what it is, but it just feels like it. Um, yeah. Now I keep saying the word calling, but it's it seems like something else in calling. It's just something else that's um, that's happening. You know, the fact that you call to talk to me. That is another step mm. somewhere. Capisce? I find that amazing that it would some people call it restlessness. To some oh, okay. people in, in that. Do, do some people say, oh, Mary, you're just you're too restless. You know, you've got it all now. Why don't you just relax? Do, do you hear that sometimes and think this isn't about no, a I, negative feeling or, or what? I used to be restless. Yeah, yeah. I used to be 
But I don't call that. I don't call this. This is not a a young person's restlessness or a um, middle-aged crisis. Um, I'm past the middle age, of course. This is more a senior moment. Okay. It's more, um, or maybe, maybe I'm denying that I'm getting older. Maybe, you know, there's, um, there, I do own the fact that I, I, I'm, I don't want to believe that I'm my mid-60s and in the next few years I'll be 70. Um, I don't look at it that way, you know, because I, I do hear people my age saying, oh, in the next three years I'll be 70 or in the next whatever. I guess so. So what? Does that mean what? You want me to go and organise a coffin for you? What, what are you talking about? Like we have, I, I'm going to live to probably 90 according to the, the um, you know, the stats, you know. The average will probably be, I think the average for elderly people are in the, the 88, something like that. But when, when it comes to mine, I reckon I'd be in my 90s. I mean, how many people are in their 90s now? I might even hit 100, God mm. help me. So to me, I still have a lot to offer. Yeah. I have a lot to offer as who I am today. All right, I'm not going to be a footballer or a basketballer. I want you people, you younger people, millenniums or whatever you call yourself, I want you people to know who we are because I still have so much to offer this world and I don't want to be shunned. So maybe, you know, there is a part of me that, you know, has this denial that she's getting older, but I am not denying that I have I still got so much more that I can give to this world, whether it's just a local. I mean, I can still drive a bus. <laughs> mm. You know, I I can still manage a motorbike. You know, like I was a bikey as well. So it's, it's not that, you know, I, I can still look forward to other things. What's next, you know? What's next? I, I tell you what I do want to do is buy myself a little Winnie Bago. Yeah, I do want to do that. Yeah. So I don't get that restless. That's the nomad side of me. Yes. And yeah, that, and I didn't yeah, I didn't want to say uh, restless on my point of view. And and I love no. the way that you've uh explained that because there is so much to give and, and life doesn't end once you hit a certain age or once you've done X amount of things. It's constant. And I think um yep. I've challenged myself in my life with there's a time where you've achieved and then a time where you live off that achievement but that is a myth that once you've achieved whatever it is that your goal was what's what's next what's next and that's the way that we live and and people fall in a trap of expectation and, and failure almost when they've hit that and others live off it and just say what's next give me more give me more and that seems to be where you're coming from yeah yeah, well, because maybe because I've had so much great things, so much challenging times, so much heartache. Well, not not that much. I mean, I have had heartaches, pain, but I still want so much more, and I believe in so much more. So COVID is kind of stopped me from maybe physically getting in and doing my road trips like I normally do. And I'm hoping that COVID is just going to be the next few months maybe. But hopefully by next year or, or towards the end of next year, 
I can move, I can go, I can leave and do things, get my little van that I want and just go. Yeah. In a caravan with a few others. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, the stillness now, time for stillness and then time for movement, time for migration later on. You've said uh, that you've got so much more to give and you don't want to be um, someone that is, you know, been there, done that and left by the wayside, which as we talked about in the, at the start of it, the discrimination as people age, it's like move over the young person here or whatever in, in jobs. But there is that wisdom. You mentioned earlier how you felt you've had all that story and experience and, yep. and detail of life just behind you. And it's like an aura, a powerful being that young people don't tend to have or even look for. No. What is it that you've learned from those ageing people, those people uh, that you drive around on the bus that you can share with us? What's uh, maybe a specific story or just general lessons you've learned from them? I, I can think of a, a few. Oh, there's one one guy's gone to heaven, but he, he made it to 100 and he played the, the you know, button accordion, he used to play the tarantella, and he had some good stories. He had some great stories. And then there was this other lady. She was so cheap. What I loved about it too, because we used to sing. We'd, we'd get around and we'd sing. And there was one lady in her 80s or 90s. She had, a, her voice was um, a little bit high, but she had, she could keep a tune. And she was singing and she was saying, you know, I've always wanted to sing. I've always wanted to do this, um, and you know, because I suppose in her days that wasn't going to happen. She had so many kids, but she didn't have uh, much to, good to say about her husband. But she did speak, um, she, you know, like, um, oh yeah, she was an angry woman about men. She didn't, she was very a thing about men, but that's because she had bad experience with her husband. But when it came to singing, oh, my God, she just, um, there was another side of her. And and she's got grandchildren and there's three granddaughters that I know of who are beautiful singers, beautiful singers. So I said, oh, well, it's come down and people know about them, you know, and one of them, especially in this area, they know that, you know, she sings. So when I hear those kids, I connect with, with her story. I said, well, you may not have been able to, but your story is still carrying on through your grandchildren. Uh, there's another guy, his, uh, his story of the way he, hardship, lots and lots of hardship in his life and sometimes would come out with cynical, can be quite cynical, and I used to get taken back by the cynicism, but when you found out a little bit about him, that's why he is who he is. So I thought, no, nah, well. Well, that's not the road I'm going to go down. But it was, you know, you, you kind of learn about about that. Then there was this other one who's just so happy, such a joy. She goes, oh, why not? Why not? Let's do it. Why not? I said, you don't mind? Ah, let's do it. Why not? No, like she was close to 90. But I loved it. She had this beautiful, oh, she said, you're beautiful. Thank you very much. You know, like grateful and and why not? Why not? And I used to say, yeah, you're right. Why not? Let's do it. Do you want to be a, a glass of uh, white wine? Oh, why not? I like a glass of wine. You know, and I thought, yeah, that, that you know. So, yeah, they, they have, um, they've, I, miss, I miss those um, elderly people. And, and then there was the, the, there's another Aussie group because, you know, we do have the um, different 
groups around here. And then we have a mixture on a Friday. So Mondays and Wednesdays, you know, different, and then Fridays they all come together. And I love it because <laughs> when we come for our morning tea, you can see where the Italians are going to sit because they've all got their little cups of coffee. Then the Aussies, they've got the big cups. Yeah. <laughs> so <gonna> have... <laughs> they, they used to crack me up. But they, we, we all talk. I mean, they used to talk, like, you know, whenever, they, if they could understand each other. But, you know, some of the, the Aussies, they had they have some great stories, beautiful stories, and and their own, you know, during the war and their own experiences and um, hardships. And one guy you knew the, the, the geography and the history of this area, and I used to love listening to him, you know. So I used to sit there on, on purpose. Today you're going to tell me a story because I want to know your story. And, you know, Joe would tell me this story and they look at me and go, Mary, he's told you that before, but it doesn't matter. He's telling the story, you know, and and he was. He was a guy from Calabria who had to go to war and he was up in Switzerland and in Germany and all those places. And then, you know, he, he came down those mountains to come back to Calabria by foot. You know, like stories like that, you know, the, uh, with people with um, depths and um, and he had this knowledge of how to find water. He used to go and people would ring him and say, Joe, come over, we need, we need to find a well. And they all knew, this man knew how to come to your farm and he had two sticks and he knows and he will tell you, you have to dig 25 whatever or 50 or whatever, no less, and he knew. How's that? That, I, that used to blow my mind. Yeah. Incredible yeah, the I mean, the these lessons that we can learn from people that have it within them without machinery without tools without you know actual knowledge. <laughs> okay, so what's going to happen in our world now? We're not we're not, that's not happening, is it? No. Where um you, you know Matt, what I I suppose one of the things I I put out there and I challenge the younger ones. Don't be afraid to sit and listen. Put away your phone. I mean, I use a phone too, but put it away. Turn it off and sit and have a cuppa. Have a little chat. Listen. Listen is what we're not doing. There is so much stimuli. There is so much coming at us from social media, from TV, from articles, and we're supposed to know X amount. School is, you know, uh, suffocating these days with how much you're supposed to know that doesn't even seem that relevant. And then we expect kids to have, you know, oh, you're not going through war, you're not going through this, you should be fine, yet we see that mental health issues are skyrocketing and that very strong in our young people yeah and is it uh, and we say it's a lack of resilience or whatever but is it almost the fact that we can't it's very hard to find our truth it's very hard to sit and listen and it's very hard to stop our brains from our minds well, from creating so know, much when i was teaching um there at one of the high schools some of the kids there, they were given everything, obviously. Their parents were hard workers. They were tradies and, you know, um, they had these mansions there around the area. And, you know, I found the kids, um, and they were lovely, but there was something missing. And I feel, you know, what you are just saying, it, it's like parents lacked their own truth, I think. 
you know, we work hard. Uh, I'm an electrician or I'm a concreter or I'm a contractor or whatever. You know, I'm doing all this for my kids. I'm going to give you a beautiful house and whatever you want, you know, because our parents never had it. We couldn't have it, you know. I'm talking about that generation. Maybe it would be, you know, you, your mm. kind of generation. So maybe those parents lacked their truth in themselves because they were so busy conquering or making or wanting all this big mansion and and three or four cars or all the latest things and my kid can have a $800 mobile phone. But in in doing that, even though, you know, I can understand the reasoning why they would want to do it, they lack, they may have lacked their own beliefs in themselves, their own truths, because they had to be better than maybe their parents, be better than their grandparents, or show that they can be, or whatever. Even though I'm not educated, I'm going to not totally educated, I'm going to show, you know. I'm not talking about the, the people who became professionals, lawyers, or doctors, or whatever. I'm talking about those that middle class kind of level. All right, and they're the sort of kids, the children of those people that I was teaching, and I could see lovely kids, but I could see that, like, as if I went mad at the kid and said, you know, the parent will come back and tell me off, because that kid went home and said, oh, Mary Tamina said this to me, and instead of the parents sitting down with me like I used to always, she went mad at me. She goes, you've got no right to talk to my kid like that. And I go, wait a minute. I'm not used to this. I've always had communication with parents. I've always had communication with kids. Why all of a sudden am I at this place where these kids are disrespecting me when I never, ever had that, ever? But I did experience it. And after that, I realised, no, I can't do this. This is no longer the teacher that I, I don't want to be this particular type of teacher because I don't fit into this category at all. I have to be easygoing, don't care whether you do your homework or you don't do your homework. A different type of, um, yeah, I've got to be careful how I say this, but I, I just know for me, it's just me, I could not fit into that particular type of um, um, category of education today. And I knew then I've got to stop. So I then became a retreat. I was running retreats. The school hired me. They had a retreat centre in the country. So I I was in charge of that. But I was totally in charge of that. And then all the year 10s, um, they all came as 15 or whatever at a time. And I would run that program. Then I had a different uh, situation and that way I felt I, I could be a little bit more able to communicate um, differently and and they were out of the classroom situation so they had a more relaxing kind of situation uh, you know and then but after after what few years I did that then I realized that's it enough is enough and I left and that's when I stopped teaching and then I did a bit of emergency uh, re- relief teaching here which was good because country kids are different. And then that's it. I, I thought, no, I couldn't go back into a classroom today. I, I do one-to-one, yep. I do um, another thing I do do. I've um, been doing marking with Australian Council of uh, Resource Centre here at home. 
um, marking exams, you know, international students, or supervise exams here. I'll do that. But that's it. Yeah. That's my limit now. That's where I've got to. But um, that relationship is no longer there. You're not allowed to. I mean, I used to visit families. I used to take kids. Can you imagine now taking you to the footy? Mm. (laughs) Mate, wouldn't be allowed to. And it's so sad. It is so sad because teachers, you said it was once a vocation and now it's a job. Now it's 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 different. I, I find that in my first year even out of teaching, which was only, what, eight, nine years ago, you know, I'd be able to have someone, a kid on my shoulders while, you know, playing soccer and then, you know, get a parent saying, come over to the house and come over for pizzas tonight. And that was, you know, a Catholic school, a much smaller community, great. And then things change where... No, you've got to keep your distance from kids. You've got to, and I get why. I do get why. In um, I, I do do yeah. get why now, but, yeah. but in those, those earlier days, uh, it's unfortunate. But I mean, when I used to teach, I used to visit every family mm. after school. That's what I used to do. I'd have one or two families I would go and visit until I, by the end of the year, I visited everyone in my classroom. That, I wasn't. I remember once though someone said, "No, you're not. You're not allowed to do that, Mary." I said, "Why?" I said, "I, I just go into. They invited me for a cup of coffee. What, what's wrong with that?" And I, and you know, they, they're the sort of things that I I used to find difficult. Yeah, that was powerful doing that. That was allowing kids to connect, parents to connect, and then you don't have the issues of you can't tell my kid off because then you become. It takes a village to raise a child. The teacher was once part yep. of that village. Now of village. Now we're told we are as teachers, you know, oh, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a social worker. No, really, we're there to control uh, X amount of kids and not get emotionally invested at all because there's too much danger, too much potential for litigation and, and, you know, and it's all because every institution wants to protect themselves from the dangers that have happened in the past and, uh and maybe when you mentioned the church being, you know, the new priests being robotic and fundamental down the line, maybe they've had to change the way they are because yeah. it, it's yeah. too dangerous now to be anything but a robot or, or whatever, you know. So It is. It's, um, that, that's, you know, that's the thing. I, when I found myself disconnecting, you know, I love it with my great nephew. He's, what, seven. I oh, he was up here for the holidays and then they end up staying a bit longer. I, I you know, just sitting with him one-to-one uh, doing games and, you know, and he's such a clever little boy. So I was able to, you know, play all these little games and I thought, oh, my God, this is so nice to be able to do that with the little ones. But those days for me, <laughs> um, I had just such joy. It was such joy with all those all, I mean, great memories, um, Matt, great memories. Yeah, going to the footy. Yeah, it was um, a great memory. Sorry about me the Bulldogs, too. by the way. <laughs> sorry oh, about the Bulldogs. It, it was disappointing. <laughs> we probably yeah, we deserved get, to win do, last night. We do get disappointed by our – see, that's another thing. We get, you know, emotionally <laughs> caught up in our footy too. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. Australian. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Uh, We've, we've spoken for a long time. We could speak for another two hours, I'm sure, but there's things we've probably both got to do. So I'll um, ask the last couple of questions now yep. and hopefully right. we get to talk again uh, soon. Yeah, but uh, I think we've covered so much and there would be so much to delve into. But 
what I do at the end of every podcast is ask this yeah. question. Have you had a moment of clarity either through this conversation or recently in your life that you'd like to share with us today? Well, it's it's been a long, long time since I have spoken to someone that I could share this with. I don't remember sharing like this. Uh, it's been ages. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm actually quite moved that I've had this opportunity because I haven't really had this. I haven't, who did I speak to? I mean, my brother, my sister-in-law. And my two aunties, that's all I've been seeing since I've been in this. So it's been months and months that I haven't been able to share on this level. So thank you very, very much, Matt, because um, I don't want to forget my stories. I know they're there and there's so much that can be unpacked in our lives and we have to allow that. We need to allow ourselves time with others to unpack our lives and value the gift that we've been given. And, I, and um, it's a gift and, uh, and thank you. So clarity, yeah, of course there's clarity. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, thank you. And the, and the fact is that I remembered you from being seven, eight, nine potentially when you, when you left our school, but as someone that became a teacher... I guess you were one of the inspiring figures that made me want to be a teacher and to have that when you're so young and memories are forming and, you know, but I do remember for the clown, I do remember the guitar and, you know, pretending there was a mouse inside the guitar. I do remember the footy. I do remember (laughs) the six times tables. (laughs) How many people, how many people I've had, even on Facebook, I've had people, um, obviously kids I've taught, are you the Mary, the Miss Mary that used to talk about the mouse in the guitar? Well, I, I, I cracked up, you know, like on Facebook I've had connections with my ex-students and I just, yes, and I don't have the mouse anymore, it's gone walkabout. But it is just <laughs> so, isn't that beautiful, the little stories mm. that you see, that's, you remember that story. I still remember those stories. So there's our connection, Matthew. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many years apart, but there is that, that beautiful connection. Absolutely. One more is the Preston Market making little pizzas. Uh, I remember <laughs> took there and it was just, you know, that was real. I mean, authentic. I don't necessarily remember what was written on paper, but I do remember knowing that you were there for Italian and the memories that have stayed with me probably more than teachers that I probably had for many more years have remained. Yeah. So there's something powerful in that. And, uh, and powerful in you, so thank you. I, thank you. I, I used to take, I mean, when I taught in Brunswick, I remember the little ones, I used to take them down Sydney Road and we go in and talk, you know, go into the shops and look at jeans and clothing and look at what, what prices they were. When I first got my motorbike, I was, um, no, that was at, uh, in what, Sacred Heart, wasn't it? Where yeah. You yeah. Yeah. And I remember, did, did I have my motorbike? Do you remember when I had a motorbike? I think you did. I think you must have. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember the first time I, when I had it, you know, and I brought it to school, I, I, I parked it in front of the staff room inside. <laughs> I brought it in. And remember, and the principal, Anne, she goes, where's that Mary Tomano? And she goes, <laughs> what are you doing, Mary? And I go, what? She goes, I said, what? Why have you put your motorbike inside? It was opposite the library there. 
I said, oh, it's all right. I just, you know, I think it's good that kids see that I've got a motorbike. Now, and then I said, no, no, I'm bringing it into the prep room because I'm going to teach them directions, turning left, turning right. Then I used to dress the kids in the, in the, in the leather jackets. Now, those kids all knew because I had brought my other friends over who had a Harley, who had a Kiyosaki. They knew about uh, Virago. So they, had, they knew those motorbikes by name. And then, you know, and one of the mums that used to help me, her husband was a policeman. So it all worked out really well. Like um, we had, you know, it was, I'm very, you've got to make learning fun. Can you imagine? That, that was hysterical, poor old principal. I used to, she didn't know what I was going to come up with next. Oh, that's but we amazing. Did. We had some yeah. very good times. Yeah, I can, I so can imagine. The, yeah, no, thank you. No, it's, it's great. No, I appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate the I've time. Been, and no, no, I've enjoyed this. It's a miserable, horrible day outside. So what else would you want to do but talk about yourself? It'd be next to snowing up there. Is that right at the moment? Oh, I would say it'd be snowing up there, yes. Yeah. If it snowed in Ballarat and places like that, it would be snowing up there, yes. Yeah. It's only an hour away. Oh, there you go. Well, um, hopefully we can do a part two one of these days and uh, unpack can, more stories. We can unpack certain little part, parts. Why not? Thank you so much, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And all, all the best to you and your wife and the little one. I know. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> it is beautiful, just beautiful. Thank you, darling. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.